Good morning, Connection Church. You guys can do a little bit better than that. Good morning. It's always a privilege and a pleasure to get a chance to stand in front of you guys. Um, my little corner is normally right over here. My wife, my kids, my family, we always sit there. We had a chance to go through heart and soul. We are so appreciative of Connection Church. Uh, one thing that Connection, I believe, does extremely well. Once you meet one person, it's like you've met everyone. And that's a testament to you guys that are out there. We're going to get ready to dive into the Word of God. But I want to kind of preface this message by talking about the end of chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians. Frankie did an amazing job of taking us through chapter 10. Right at the end of chapter 10, we started to see where these super apostles and their teaching started to push this agenda of being self-seeking, being able to set their own personal goals outside of the will of God. They started moving in a direction where they started to set standards that were different from God's design. And the reason that that is so dangerous, but it parallels us to where we are today in our society. God, your word is so harsh. God, we can't live that way in this world. God, that's for the people of old. God, I'm struggling with certain things, so God, I don't want to go to church and hear someone that's going to call me out on my sin. We turn and have itching ears because we're comfortable where we are. And in chapter 11... Paul does an amazing job of fighting for the children of Corinth, fighting hard for them, loving them, and expressing to them how much he loves them by how much he wanted to give them God's word. And we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 11 of first, uh, 2 Corinthians. Let us pray. God, before we dive into your word today, God, I just thank you for today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to come out and worship you freely. There are so many places across our world, God, that people can't worship you freely, and we get a chance to do that here. And I'm asking, God, that we dive into your word. Allow us to open our hearts and our minds, God, so we can receive your word. Allow us to take heed to your word, God, but after hearing and receiving it, allow us to be doers of your word, God, and we'll be so careful to give you all praise, honor, and glory and in Jesus name I humbly pray and everyone says amen what I'm gonna do today I'm gonna break these 15 verses down into three separate parts we're gonna go verses 1 through 4 first then 5 through 11 then 12 through 15 the Word of God says verse 1 I wish you would put up with me a little foolishness from me yes do put up with me for I'm jealous for you with the godly jealousy listen to the verbiage here that Paul, that Paul's speaking from, I wish you would put up with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear, if you underline in your Bible, underline here, but I fear as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Verse 4, for if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which we had not received, or a different gospel which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. One of the things that we have to realize today, we have to be able to call out lies when we see lies. Call out lies when we see lies. And we're going to talk about the truth about lies. 
Somebody said, that doesn't make sense. That seems like an oxymoron. The truth about lies. Satan wants to do everything he can to attack your commitment from God's word. It's the first thing that Satan wants to do. He wants to attack your commitment to God's word because if he can get you leaning and dependent on your own standards, you will start being more of a reflection of yourself than a reflection of Christ. He wants to attack your commitment to God's word. I always find it ironic that there are so many individuals that would say, I'm a Christian. So many people claim to be a Christian until being a Christian becomes biblical. When it comes to living Knowing and following Christ, everyone's a man, oh, I'm a great Christian. God, I'm going to do everything I can to follow you. But then we read something that troubles us because it calls out our sin. But now we say, oh, God, I don't know if I can do that. What ends up happening, a byproduct of Satan attacking us is we try to make the Bible say what we want it to say which is being eisegesis the word. God, I read this passage, and it says it's really difficult and tough for me. What I'm going to do right now, I'm going to say what I think it means rather than actually looking at the context of what the Scripture is actually saying. Our commitment to God's word. I work with a lot of young people. This is what I hear. It's too hard. Loving people that don't love me back, that's too hard. Giving to people that would never give to me. And so I'm looking at some of you guys. If you guys asked me for $100, I wouldn't mind giving it to you. If I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I would get 100 back or maybe a little interest. If there's some bankers in here, give me 120 back. But what about giving to the person that you know without a shadow of a doubt wouldn't give it to you? Do you still give it to them with joy? God, that's difficult. Loving someone that doesn't love me, God, that is difficult. Satan will always attack your commitment to God's Word because as soon as he attacks your commitment and we allow him to win, then Satan gets a chance to win in our lives. And what we have to do an amazing job of is understanding how powerful the Word of God is. And we're going to get there here when I look a little bit. The second thing I want you to understand, and it talks about it here, verses 1 through 4, comfortability with sin and listen to this carefully, will allow you to be easily seduced by Satan. Anywhere in your life where you aren't satisfied with Jesus, you're going to find sin there. I'm going to say that one more time. Anywhere in your life where you aren't satisfied with God, you're going to find sin there. Something that we have to be better at as a body, accountability. If you really love most of everybody is probably sitting by someone that they love. If you love them, you tell them the truth. If you love them, you hold them accountable. We become so comfortable in our sin, this is what we say. Who are you to judge me? You haven't always been right. See, Steve, I know who you were when you were in high school. You weren't a great person. Being comfortable in our sin, we then point the finger at everyone else. I see what you're doing over there as well. Comfortability with sin will allow you to be easily seduced by Satan. We see right here with Eve. Sorry, women. I got something for you a little later, but I think about Eve and her being deceived. Looking at something that looks good, something that sounds good. How often do we do that? We hear, we hear something and it sounds really good and we automatically equate it to the Word of God and it's not. 
How often does something smell good, look good, sound good, and it isn't biblical? How often do we fall victim to these type of things? We have to always realize that Satan is cunning and deceitful. And young people, if you're in here, please listen to this. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You being comfortable with your sin is the perfect place to be for Satan to win in your life. One of the reasons that I believe a lot of times churches aren't full, especially if it's a Bible-believing church, when you're preaching truth, it's going to either push people or it's going to bring them closer. You don't have to wave your hand. How many people want truth? You raise your hand anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Comfortability with sin would allow Satan to seduce you but knowing, living, and following God's word is essential for us. Something that I love to teach on at Broom Parker, Jesus being in the wilderness, and just, just that this one's free of charge, it says after being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, we don't like being tempted. We don't like going through anything, but in order for us to get through things, I'm getting ready to explain why it's so important for us to know the word of God and being able to use the Word of God as our weapon. Satan, this is one of his tricks, one of his schemes. He would give us something that sounds right, that's so appealing. And when he went to tempt Jesus, he was quoting some scripture. Taking them out of context, but he was quoting some scripture. So imagine if we don't know scripture, how can we then call out Satan when he's trying to trick us? If you don't know Scripture, and it sounds like Scripture, you're going to take it as Scripture. But what did Jesus do? Knowing fully who he was, but also understanding the Word of God, he was able to combat Satan with the Word of God. Write this down. If you're going to defeat Satan, you have to know your Word. And knowing your, your Word means living it and following it. What's the point of us knowing what to do and we still choose to do wrong? 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us and talks about how we need to be able to divide the word of truth. Can I give you guys just a little secret? No matter who comes and stands on this stage, you need to be able to read the Bible for yourself because you're going to be held accountable as well. Sometimes we'll go to a church and someone can have so many PhDs behind their name, we just take their word for it, and it's messed a lot of people up in our world. Do you know the word for yourself? I always tell young people all the time, everywhere you go, you take your Bible with you. And when someone's reading from it, you follow along. You'll be shocked sometimes at what's not in there. Being able to know the word of God is essential to being able to defeat Satan. Let's pick back up at verse number five, moving on to the second portion. And I'm going to preface this by saying we're going to talk about a servant's heart. We're going to talk about Paul's heart here, and it's truly amazing to me to see Paul's heart for people. Let's read. Verse five says, Now I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. I'm going to pause right there for a second and just encourage someone. Just because you're different, just because you have biblical standards and you're in God's design, stop looking at yourself as inferior to the world. 
You don't have to have a million dollars. You don't have to have all these worldly credentials. And I'm going to get ready to talk about some people here in the book of Acts. It doesn't matter what the world standards are. Are you following Christ's standards? But what the world tries to tell us as believers, you know, if you, if you don't have a whole lot of money, if you can't speak extremely eloquently, if you can't do these things, we don't want to hear from you. And right here in Corinth, what's happening is these people have been fooled. They fell, fell in victim to these super apostles. They looked, they looked apart. They can speak well. They do all these amazing things that tend to draw people. Great stage presence. But you know the difference between them and Paul? Paul had a relationship with Christ. Let's continue to read. Verse 6 says, Even if I am untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. I want to pause right there for a second. This one speaks directly to each and every one of us. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 talks about spiritual boldness. It talks about two individuals. It talks about Peter and John. Peter and John, they claim that these two men, they are untrained and uneducated. During that particular time, when it comes to the Sanhedrin, it comes to the Pharisees, you have all these people that have so much head knowledge. You have all these individuals that are so well-trained and educated. Then you have two people that are actually followers of Christ, Peter and John, and this is what they say about them. They are uneducated, and they haven't been trained. But right below that, and this is what I'm speaking, this is the encouragement that we all need. They said, but we know they spent time with Jesus. But we know that they spent time with Jesus. Education is great. Speaking well is great. But the most important thing that you and I, we could ever do is to make sure that we spend time with Jesus. And if we spend time with Jesus and he died for you and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that qualifies you. I don't care how many people try to disqualify you. Spending time with Jesus qualifies you. Just want that to soak in just for a second. God will use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Something that I wish we were better about in our faith. When someone comes from humble beginnings or they they grow up poor or they have a troubled past, and I'm going to talk about the Samaritan woman. I don't know about Vidalia. I've only been in this area for about seven or eight years, but I want you guys to tell me if I'm wrong. The Samaritan woman and everything that she had been dealing with, and she had trouble with men, lots of men. Where I'm from in Mississippi, when you have trouble with lots of men, people talk about you a lot. I don't know about Vidalia. It may be where you, everybody just pray for and love on her and invite her to everything. But where I'm from, they're going to talk about her and point the finger at her. Why would God ever use her? And I don't want to go off on a sidebar here. Maybe that's the reason why she was at the well at the time of day that she was there because people didn't want to talk to her. She didn't want to be bothered with people. All the sin in her life and people could point at it. But then she has a real encounter with Christ, and guess what happens? She goes back to where she's from, someone that people would say, unusable. God doesn't want you. We don't want you. She goes back to her city, and it's on fire for Christ. Like a revival swept through there, and people started to believe because they started to see her testimony, and then they end up spending time with Jesus. Don't tell me who God can't use. It's a problem in our faith today. Why would God use them? Because he chose them. 
Honestly, if we can go and dig in Paul's past when he was Saul, we might not want to read this Bible. <laughs> God chose you. That's enough. Stop letting people make you feel bad about what you've been through. And if I can be honest, I promise you, if you can see their skeletons in their closet, I won't even go there. No, I won't even go there. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. This is one of my favorite parts of this scripture. And I'm going to read just a little bit. I want you to see the verbiage. I want you to see Paul's heart, a servant's heart. You got groups of individuals that have felt victim to listen to these super apostles, and they love it. You guys, this is how we are. When people tell us what we want to hear, they don't call us out on our sin. They looked apart. They sound apart. Imagine being Paul and loving these people. I want you to listen to how he talks. Pick up at verse 7. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you may be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of you free of charge. I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself and would keep myself from burdening you in this way as the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine would not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you. God knows I do. Do our hearts hurt for individuals that don't know Christ? Does our hearts hurt for people that are struggling? Sometimes I feel that when we're in the body of Christ and we see people that's in the world that's sinning and they're doing a, a ton of crazy things and we feel like they should know better because now we know better, we become so judgmental and it's like we don't even want to go and visit and even be able to minister to them. I got something. I have something. I have something. <laughs> I've heard people say, I don't want that in my church. I've heard someone say that before. Where are they supposed to go? I have an uncle of mine. He's saved now, but he had, he had some issues. And, and uh, I can remember, nephew, I'm going to come to church when I get right. That's what he would say. Nephew, I'm going to come when I stop doing X, Y, and Z. How are you ever going to stop if you don't have a real encounter with Christ? This church is a hospital for the sick. And if we don't want sick people here, whoo, we may be sick. We have to do a great job of having an amazing heart for people, serving the underserved. We have to realize we are not inferior to the world because of their teachings and standards. And God can use ordinary people to do great things, but also realize your good intentions will not always be appreciated. I can hear everybody on the inside say, amen, because I'm... <laughs> your good intentions will not always be appreciated. You can do everything that you know to do for a person and they don't appreciate it. I have something for you guys. We, do we have anybody from the orange team uh, and blue team that are in here today? Could you guys raise your hand? You guys do an amazing job. But I'm going to challenge you on something, right? What's your why? What's your why? For anyone that serves in any capacity, not even just here, but in general, what's your why? 
I'm going to tell you how you can define your why. So many people do things because they need or want a pat on the back from someone else. I'm going to pause again. So many people do things because they want someone to say, you did an amazing job. Some people only serve because they were asked to serve. This is how you find out where you are, and I don't know. So if you don't smile or look angry at me, I won't know if it's you. When you don't get the desired result, when you're giving max effort, you're doing everything you can to be the best service you can be, and you don't get the desired result, you don't get that thank you, you don't get that, oh, I appreciate you, oh, you were amazing, and you don't get that. People that don't get the desired result and their heart isn't in the right place, they end up quitting. They don't appreciate me. You want me to tell you how I know? Because I've been that person before. Where do we want our praise from? Connection, honestly, everything that we do, Colossians 3, 23, we should do it wholeheartedly as we're doing it unto pleasing the Lord, not for people. Our job is to serve people even when they don't appreciate us, and we love them anyway. When someone comes up to you and you know they've been talking about you and you're doing everything you can to serve them well, hug them anyway. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. Hug them anyway. Your good intentions would not always be appreciated. But then guess what Paul does? He starts boasting about humbleness and about service. He starts boasting about humbleness and about service. The words you and I want to hear when our time is done on this earth it's well done, and I want you guys, because I know you guys read the Bible, and I'm going I'm to leave something out, and I want you guys to say it. Well done, thou good and faithful. If Jesus put a premium on service, we should too. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's not, Steve, well done, that good and faithful pastor. Well done, that good and faithful coach. Well done, that good and faithful. No. Well done, that good and faithful servant. Jesus served. Let's make sure we serve. And in order to serve properly, our heart has to be right. The imagery in these verses for me, Paul hurting for them. Hurting for them taken from other people so he can serve them well, not wanting to bother them. But what ends up happening when someone doesn't appreciate us, the first thing we do is judge the fruit without looking at the root. That's what we do. We judge the fruit without looking at the root and blame them for everything. And sometimes I believe the reason that God put us in certain situations that make us uncomfortable is so that we can't have pride. Because in order to help someone that would harm you, you have to remove your pride and you have to be meek and humble. I'm a part of a group me, it's the Edwards family back home, and just a little, just a little nugget. Do not get in a group me with all your family members. Don't, don't, don't do it, especially if you have as many as I do. 
We have this group me in. We discuss going to Gatlinburg and taking our families there, going to Florida. Go to, we, we talk about all these things, but there was something that was put in this group me that was amazing one day. It said, if you know Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and you have family members that don't know Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, if you aren't doing everything you can to make sure that they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you don't love them. That's what we put in the group me. He said, how can we call ourselves Christians and know people are going to spend their lives eternally separated from God and we smile and snicker and have a great time and we don't use the opportunity to be able to minister to them? Sometimes the Elvis family reunion has to be a little awkward because sometimes when we're talking to family, we can talk Jesus to everybody but the people. Uh Uh-oh. We could talk Jesus to everybody but the people that have the same blood running through us. We could talk Jesus with any, a stranger. What about to the people in your house? We're so comfortable talking Jesus everywhere else. And I can remember reading in it, and I was like, that is so good. That is so good. We spend so much time trying to lead people to Christ, and then the people that are closest to us, we neglect them. How? I felt challenged. I felt challenged. And so now when I'm home or we're somewhere, I'm going to minister. And sometimes, you, you know what, we, we fear rejection. We fear, oh, here you come with that Bible stuff. Yes, sir, I am. Here you come talking that Jesus stuff. Yes, I am. Because right now, today, you may not appreciate it, but one day, you will. Let's continue to read. Let's continue to read. So the first two things I want you guys to remember, in the beginning, the truth about lies. Then we talked about a servant's heart, looking at Paul's heart and how amazing it is for the people of Corinth. Talking about being a servant, even when people don't appreciate it. Talking about being a servant and knowing your why. The third part of this message, let's read at verse 12. But I will continue to do what I am doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as equals in what they boast about. I'm going to pause right there for a second as well. The difference between Paul and these false prophets, these false individuals, these super apostles, is Paul's faithfulness to God. If you write notes, please write this. The super apostles depended on their scorecard and their credentials to make themselves seem great. Paul depended on his faithfulness to Christ, and God made his name great. What is greatness? What is greatness? We often measure it by what the world standards tell us, but I'm going to give you guys what greatness is maximizing the talent, gifts, and abilities that God has given you for his glory. I don't care how much money you have or what you drive or where you live. That doesn't make you great. Do you know Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? If the answer is yes, are you doing everything you can to make as many disciples as you can? That's greatness. That's greatness. I often say, 
we sometimes, as people try to do with a title, what we can't do with our name. If the, only, if the only reason that you're respected and the only reason that people follow you is because of the title, and listen to this carefully, that means that you haven't allowed God to do enough in your life where he can lead through you. God told Abraham he'd make his name great. He'd make his name great. Shout out to Billy right here. If Billy wasn't pastor, I believe we still would follow him. If he had pastor attack along, along his name or not, it wouldn't matter. You see what the fruit and what God's doing through his life. That's the difference between the super apostles and Paul. The next thing I want to point out in these verses, let's continue to read. Verse 13, for such people are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Second thing I want you guys to always know and understand is Satan is a master of disguise. He's a liar and he's a deceiver. And I want you guys to listen to me carefully here. I'm going to show you guys one way that I think Satan is trying to deceive an entire generation of young people. We have an entire generation of young people that associate worship only with songs, worship only with coming to church. What if I were to tell you that worship, true worship, is a relationship of the redeemed with God and they live out their worship daily by how they choose to live Scripture openly amongst everyone? Andrew does an amazing job. Andrew, I wish I could play the keys like you. Corbin, I wish I... No, I don't, Corbin. You're not very good. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I owed him that one. I wish I can play it like Corbin. When I walk into this sanctuary and I hear the worship music going, it pushes my emotions and my buttons a lot of times. And I'm the guy that would sit over there and cry, and I'm glad that it's dark. But I come to tell you, that's not the only way that I choose to worship. And I want you guys to listen to me. If Andrew wasn't playing, if Corbin isn't playing and there's no sound in here, I can worship God not only for what he's done for me, but who he is. And I don't need music to go along with it. If I'm being honest, some of the best worship, some of us, we do, is when we're in the shower in the car, alone. All of us are amazing singers in the shower. Raise your hand if you are. I know I'm one in the shower. I'm amazing. And when I'm in the car and I blast the music and I'm in there, by, I can't hear myself, so I sound really good. <laughs> I don't necessarily need music to worship my Lord and Savior. It's great to lift up your hands here in the sanctuary, but it's better to lift up your hearts. What we do on the outside should be reflection what happens on the inside. And the reason that I want to point this amount of young, of young people is because what happens is we'll start worshiping the person that's leading the music. We'll start worshiping the voice. We'll start worshiping the people that can play. And so now, well, that's not the music that I want to hear. Well, the music really isn't about you. It's about glorifying God. So what ends up happening is when we don't worship God in truth and in spirit, what happens is rather than our worship being a reflection of Christ, it becomes a reflection of us. 
And Satan doesn't mind that. He likes that standard. He likes that standard. Everything that we do needs to exemplify who Jesus is. Steve doesn't even matter. I need to mimic Jesus every day. How I live at work, how I treat my wife, how I father my kids, how I treat my neighbor, how I respond to adversity. I need to be a mini Christ. Do you guys remember, and I'm getting ready to close, do you guys remember late 90s, early 2000s, the little wristbands that had what would Jesus do? Somebody bring those back. Someone bring those back. I remember having one when I was younger, and anything that would happen, my parents, hey, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You guys had them too. I know you did. But we are moving away from that, and we are letting the world set the trends. What's the difference between us and the world if every time something happens to us, we respond just like the world? We're called to be holy, which means to be separated, sacred. Sometimes, church, we spend so much time trying to fit in with the world that we can't call the world out of the world. We spend so much time trying to blend in. We turn into chameleons. We're camouflaged. We are, wherever we are, that's, where, that's who we are. If we're around a bunch of unbelievers, they, they don't know if we're a believer or not. If we come to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays, oh my God, I'm a believer, I serve. Be different everywhere. Represent Christ everywhere. Represent Christ everywhere. Verse 13, for such people are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Just a little point here. Satan is not coming to you with a pitchfork. He's going to come disguised as something you want. When we don't truly know Scripture, he's going to sound like a great saying. And if you're not studying to show, y- show yourself approved unto God, you could be deceived. So it's no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be to according to their works. And this is why we must put on the full armor of God. This is why we must put on the full armor of God. Someone's asking, how do I put it on? I'm going to talk you through it. The first thing you have to do is fix your eyes on Jesus. That's first and foremost. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The reason that that's important is because no matter how much Scripture we know, It doesn't matter how much good we think we are or how good we think we are, we can be deceived. Thank God for his blood. 
thank God for his grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Because I'm going to fail. And so what I want to leave you guys with today is the importance of putting on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 14 through 19. That's where you can find it. And I'm going to kind of breeze through this. Let's put on the belt of truth, spiritual integrity. One thing that Satan doesn't like is authentic people that know who they are in Christ. Put on the belt of truth. The armor on our chest, righteousness <laughs> to guard our heart, our hearts. Listen to this. Proverbs 4, 23. Springs of life flow from it. All you do comes from it. If you want to see someone that's really hurt, find someone with a chest wound, a heart wound. Not our righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. The righteousness of Christ. Then put on the gospel of peace. Back then, the sandaled feet to be ready, protected footwear, combat boots. I have Kohans on today, so I'm going to ask Billy after service if I could borrow his boots. <laughs> Being ready. The shield of faith, Hebrews 11:6. 6. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith connects us to God. Sight will connect us to our situations, but also, uh-oh, to our sin. The shield of faith. It's important to fend off arrows, spears, swords, but also doubt. Then we want to put on the helmet of salvation. Young people, listen to this. Follow Christ in his word. The truth will set you free. One thing that I see so much today is the mind, the amount of young people that are dealing with so much, so many mental issues. And if I can minister to you just for a second, there are so many people that they're trying to be something that outside of God's design. And it's causing an internal conflict. And so in that young person's mind, they're battling themselves versus who God has created them to be. And that's why, people of God, it's our job to call up our youth. Call them into biblical manhood. Older women teach the younger women. Older men teach the younger men. Show them the way. And I'm going to make it simple. Sometimes it's just inviting them to lunch, talking about being a dad. I rarely share this, but I'm going to share it here. I think about my dad, and I mentioned him before, the first time I preached, I believe. Uh, my dad's been pastoring and preaching since the early 90s. Well, my dad didn't have a dad. My dad didn't have a dad. He grew up with 10 kids. 10 brothers and sisters in a two-bedroom home. He just had a mom. Six different fathers out of the 10 kids. 
According to Satan, there is no way that my dad could be a good dad to me. What if I told you he's the best dad? What if I told you he was intentional in how he raised me? What if I told you I've been on walks, hunting trips, where he's teaching me how to be a dad, and I'm 11, 12, 13 years old, and I think about this all the time, and I say this to me, being a father, and if you're a father in here, and I'm a little biased because I have two girls, (laughs) there is nothing like being a father. I don't know why I'm staying here for so long, but I believe someone needs this. Man, grab that young 18, 19, 20-year-old guy and take him to lunch. Talk to him about biblical manhood and what it means. Because if we aren't teaching them, I promise you Satan has something for them. Don't be afraid to touch certain issues because Satan's going to touch them all. Let's teach them how to fight back. Let's give them this word. Then we got to have this sword. And I'm going to challenge you guys with something today. Probably going to get in trouble for this one, but I'm a hard copy guy. Take this wherever you go. This is your sword, your weapon. Wherever you go, leave one in the car if you're forgetful like me. (laughs) But take it wherever you go. Because this is how we defeat Satan. This is how Jesus defeated Satan. And this is how Paul won over the Corinthians that had been that fallen victim to the super apostles. As challenging as this message is, the truth about lies, Satan will always try to get you to think that the world's way is better. The world will always overpromise under the liver. Always. Trust God's word and know God's word. Second thing, be a true servant. The best way to find yourself is losing yourself in the service of others. Be a true servant. Someone that's not going to complain. Someone that's not going to mumble. Be a true servant. The third thing, put on the full armor of God. And you start by focusing on Jesus. As I minister here, and I'm done. I want you guys to leave with this. If we're going to be ambassadors for Christ, that means we have to minister to people that don't like us, that don't want to hear us, that may talk about us, that may tell us no. And as humans, that hurts our feelings. But for too long, we've been depending on our own power. We don't have power to save anyone. 
Let's not limit the Holy Spirit because of what we choose not to do. <laughs> Make sure, as ambassadors for Christ, you're doing everything you can to lead people to Christ. Don't allow your feelings, or sorry, but I have to say it, your feelings aren't really that important. Because we are so locked in. Well, I don't feel, I don't naturally, please don't tell anyone outside of this, I don't naturally want to do what the Word of God tells me to do all the time. That's a little secret for you. I don't always want to do it, but I have to die to my, death, to my flesh daily. I have to die to my flesh daily. Because rather than praying for someone, sometimes I may, you know, want to hurt somebody. Don't allow your feelings to get in the way of other people knowing Christ through you. Let's be like Paul. Let's love anyway. Let's fight for them anyway. Because honestly, church, there are some people that don't know how to fight for themselves, and we're going to have to show them how to fight. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to fight for those that can't fight for themselves right now? Are you praying that someone, the person in your family that's an unbeliever, that God save them and allow me to lead them to Christ? And if I'm not the one to lead them to Christ, God, let me be somewhere around so I can rejoice with them. Let's be more like Paul. Let's love unconditionally, really. Let's love unconditionally, just like our Father in heaven loves us. Let us pray. God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the encouragement that Paul gives us here. People that he loved, people that he took from others to serve. Paul was undervalued, underappreciated. But God, you called him to the ministry that you gave him. And he fought for the lives of people. And I'm just asking today, God, that we pick up our Bible, we put on your armor, and we get to work. And we go to work. And rather than complaining, rather than thinking it's someone else's job, that we do our part. And we'll be so careful to give you all praise, all honor, and all glory. In Jesus' name, I humbly pray. Amen. I want you guys to look at me, and I'm going to leave you with this. And I really mean this. <laughs> Let's fight. When you leave out of here today, the unbelievers that you work with, fight for them. Don't fight them. Fight for them. Your children that don't know Christ, 
yet fight for them. Your siblings that don't know Christ yet fight for them. The people that you think about at night because you have a true love for them, that haven't given you the time of day to minister to them, fight for them. Fight like their lives depend on it. Because it does. Thank you.